You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Kim Vihan, founder and CEO of Foster Arizona and Foster Arizona Housing Project. Kim encourages us to get out of our comfort zone, get messy, and make an impact. Let's dive in. Kim Vihan, thank you so much for being here on the No Gray Areas podcast. I need to start by apologizing to the audience because you and I started talking about half an hour ago and it was so exciting. And I, every, every time we'd go in a direction, I'd be like, oh, we need this on. We need to be recording this. And so uh, uh, audience, I apologize. You missed out on 30 minutes of great conversation. We'll see if we can recreate some of it. So uh, Kim, you and I met, I think it was two months ago or three months ago. Someone introduced us, a, a mutual friend introduced us, Patty Wyatt. Yes. And uh, you are involved in some amazing stuff. So, 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 Tell us uh, what you run, the organization that you run. Yeah, so I run Foster Arizona. It is uh, an organization that's been around for eight and a half years. And I also run Foster Arizona Housing Project. It's a branch off from Foster Arizona. Our mission over at Foster Arizona is to educate, encourage, and empower Arizonans to positively impact the lives of kids in foster care. And we knew that You've there was- You've clearly said that a few times. I have said that a few <laughs> that's, times. That just, <laughs> that's a mouthful and you just, yeah, Okay. But Foster Arizona Housing Project, our desire was to expand that and really reach out to the young adults that are transitioning out of foster care because there's such a gap space when it comes to those young adults as they are trying to find their way in the world and uh, throw that label of foster care behind them and really take on what the world yeah, has for them yeah. as they transition to adults. And when you talk about transitioning, there's another phrase that you'll hear sometimes. I don't know if that's not mm -hmm. a good phrase to you, but you hear aging out. And when we first met, uh, there was a couple of individuals that were sitting in that meeting with us, and that just blew them away. They'd never heard of that phrase, like aging out. What does that mean? And probably a lot of our audience doesn't know that if you're in the foster system and you haven't been adopted, mm -hmm. that you're 18 and you're all of a sudden rolling into life with a lot of times very little support system. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is in Arizona, they can be in extended foster care until their 21st birthday. And so there is a certain amount of support that they get from organizations like myself, organizations like uh, Keys to Success, which are partners with us, as well as they get stipends from like Department of Child Safety. But the biggest challenge comes down to it's not financial. And a lot of the conversations I'm in with people, they think, oh, we just need to throw more money at them. No, the gap space that makes the most critical impact is actually social. Really? It's community. It's this disconnect from the things that they haven't learned and the life skill space that they haven't learned because they haven't grown up or been able to be in a family type setting and have all of these regular experiences like you and I have that allow us to learn from other people. And we know that as human beings, that's what we do. Yeah. We learn from each other. Yep. And so there's just these especially literal in gaps. Especially family, space. right? Yes. In a family, especially is where you learn a lot of these life skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of the young adults who come into our program are coming from group homes. And so they have staff and staff can change over quite a bit. And you have staff this in the morning and staff in the afternoon or, or the night times. And it is not the same to have a relationship with someone who has a paycheck as it is to have a relationship with someone that you've organically made in the community. And so we see that gap in their trust, gap in the way they connect to the community. We see them have very little connections in the community. Hmm. And so what we look at is when they turn 21, a lot of things just turn completely off for them. What do they need yeah. to be able to make that bridge in a way that they are not isolated and alone and they have supports and people who can continue to lift them up when yeah. they have challenges? Yeah. 
you know, you bring up life skills. We had a we had a young man that came into our home. He was probably in his early twenties. If he happens to be listening to this, I got to tell you, Andrew, I'm so stinking proud of you. Like what he's doing now with his life. But but I I learned that that, that you automatically since we didn't foster care when we we had some kids that lived with us on and off. So I guess we did it in a roundabout way, but it was an official foster care. But here's what I realized, that my wife and I just naturally have like, oh, at 14, this is what they should know. At 16, this is what they should know. And when you take in someone who didn't learn those life skills, you can get really frustrated because mm-hmm. you're like, Absolutely. you're a 19-year-old. How can you not? And you realize, well, because they never learned it. They never were taught that, which I suppose is a lot of the education you do for parents that are going to foster, right? Well, and we do some education when it comes to foster cooperative in our work with our trainings with parents, and we focus a lot on practical applications. So like I got a chance to teach one of our trainings and I taught them how do you get young adults from here to there and teach them how to help them dream, but then help help them define reality and design that path to get there. And so we try to encourage them on being active participation, uh, having active participation in the young adults' lives and teaching them alongside. And I think the challenge comes down to like when we're working with the young adults, we're working on very basic thought spaces because the more we can even allow them to grab hold of how you go about in the thought process because they haven't had to think a lot for themselves, right? When you're out with a family dynamic, there's a lot more ways that you're interacting in spaces that allow you to have critical thinking that's developed. Mm -hmm. And we see a gap space in that. So they're like, I know where I want to go, but I'm not really sure how I'm going to get there because I haven't been able to put that critical thinking spot in place of, okay, this is what I do and this is how I reach out. And even when they are trying to critically think through it, a lot of the times they're not thinking about, oh, I'll call so-and-so, which when I get Because stuck, there is no, I'll call so-and-so. Right. They're not connected to the so-and-sos. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's the big thing is, yes, there's this gap space, which we're actually trying to work on in um, collaboration with about 20 different organizations and working with the Department of Child Safety, as well as one of our board members, of creating a, ju- a judicial checklist that actually makes it so that the Department of Child Safety is letting the judge know these are the things that they've had at the age of 14. These are the things they've done at the age of 15, 16, 17. And that way, we're having a better track of making sure they're getting what they need before they're getting to the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And so we are trying to do exactly what you're talking about with a checklist. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is most parents aren't operating off of a checklist. Most yeah. parents are just doing life on life with kids. Yeah. And they're learning these spaces because of that relationship. Yeah. So unfortunately, we're looking at checklists because there's that gap that's yeah. being very made very clear yeah. by what we're seeing as they're getting to 18. Well, let me, let me pause really quick and just talk to the audience for a second. Just say if they're if they're sitting if they're listening and they're going, well, I don't know if this really connects with me or if it or if I need you do because from cover to cover in the Bible we see God's heart is for the widow and the orphan, and that's yes. a phrase that's used in at that time the widow and the orphan were the most vulnerable. So what we see from cover to cover in the Bible is that God's heart beats for the most vulnerable, and you're specifically caring and the organizations you're collaborating with are dealing with some of the most vulnerable in our society. I worked with anti-human trafficking for years, and we always said for every one girl we rescued, we'd like to see a thousand that would never go into it. Yes. Well, you you start, you you do what you're doing and what your organization is doing. You're actually helping uh, many of these kids that might be very vulnerable to human trafficking, maybe not ever go into that. 
100%. I mean, and that's just one of many things. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing is if you look at the connection with foster care, it's not just human trafficking. It's homelessness. Yep. It's the prison systems. It's the young parents that are getting on welfare. It's actually them going back into child safety and the repeat of abuse and neglect that's taking place. If you want to see something different in society, you've got to go down to saying, how can I make an impact on a life and stop the cycle that is perpetuated because yeah. of their lack of connection to community? Yeah. Now, Kim, can I ask you to be just a little more passionate about this? So, too, like, you got to talk like you care about this. I'm, I'm being I sarcastic, so of course. I know you this. are, and I love that. I love that about you. So, let's let's actually find out that. So, back up. You said you you started this about nine years ago. Why did you start this? It clearly was not because you were bored. Because right, you have you have seven kids, like we found that out, but that was part of this process. Yeah, and so at the time, I actually was a foster parent, and we had gone to court, and we found out um, I had two kiddos that were in my care at the time that were still in foster care, and we had found out that their parental rights were going to be severed and that we were going to be adopting them. And my husband was adamant. He's like, you have a minivan. That is as big as we're going to get. That makes five kids uh, because I was having another baby at that time. And he goes, you're done. So like, that was your third. That was my third birth child. Yeah. And I had two that uh, we were going to be adopting. And that's all that can fit in a minivan. And right? that's it. Yeah. And he's like, and that's with the slim fit car yeah. seats. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and so he goes, you are at absolute capacity. And so I was driving in my car and I'd been working in the churches um, at this point, probably seven, eight, nine years. And I was a part of telling stories. And I knew that was something I could do. And I knew I knew a lot of people who told stories that I could bring in and say, hey, they could help me with this. So I was driving in my car and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I am going to expand my reach and not leave these kids behind. Because for me, the idea of saying, oh, I've done my part and walking away was inconceivable. That wasn't even something that I could imagine doing because I knew what foster care looked like. I had experienced it. And so the Foster Arizona idea actually never started as this idea to start an organization. It literally really? was just, I'm going to make some videos and I'm going to get more people to get involved because if I tell their stories, they're going to care too. And that's where it came from. And we were talking about, this is one of the things I apologize for because I wasn't sure if we were going to get it in here. We had so much great conversation right before we turned the mics on. But if you, you, you told me, you're like, if I would have known where all this was going to lead to, I don't know that I would have jumped into it. I thought I was just going to start making videos. Isn't that how God often works? Oh, man, all the time. And I think that it's because God knows that sometimes, you know, it says that he'll light one step at a time. He'll light our path. Yeah, yeah. If he lit the whole path up for us, some of you out there might be like, oh, my gosh, I would be so excited. I wish God would just show me the whole way. But I think for so many of us, we'd be overwhelmed. Yeah. And we'd say, there's no way, God, that I'm going to get from here to there because it's too big. Yeah. And I think that that's the beauty of God showing us, this is what I want from you today. Yep. Because that's all we have to worry about is being faithful to what God calls us to today. It's mm. not about tomorrow. And one of my favorite quotes is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, yep. because that's what I'm called to do today is just start taking some bites. Yep. And I'm sure you have to deal with this in your own life with your team that you have. But there's that whole fallacy in thinking, too, that if I can't do everything, I can't do anything. And and I'm sure you feel overwhelmed so often because you're doing this. You're trying to collaborate. You're actually working uh, with other states now. But the need is so great that sometimes you could just get overwhelmed. And you're like, well, I, I, I can't solve the problem. But like you're saying, yeah. just do what God called you to do today. You know what? And the thing is, I wish I could say that I had that all figured out and that I don't have those days where I'm like, what in the world am I doing? 
but I'd be lying. Yeah. Because there are days that I sit back and I go, what in the world am I doing? Am I even making an impact? Mm -hmm. Because when you are in the mess of things, mm -hmm. and foster care is a mess. And it's one of the messiest things you oh can deal with, isn't it? Yeah. It is so incredibly messy. And I think when you're in the mess of things, sometimes you get overwhelmed by the mess. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to turn back and say, okay, God, wash the mess off of me. Refocus my heart and my life. And let me see what it is that you want me to do right now. Yeah. And then the thing that I love is that God in his sweetness, he usually finds a way to bring back the hope and the joy in what you're doing. Sometimes it's through, I've had a crap day where everything seems to be blowing up and I have this young adult walk through the door and they tell me something that changed their life. Yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, that is a gift. Yeah. Because sometimes in our life, we never even get to see the impact that we get to make. But I think through the sweetness of God, mm -hmm. that those moments where you get discouraged and it feels so much that you can't handle it, he has a way of giving you that just the right amount of encouragement you need yep. to get you to take that next step. Yep. Can you think of a time where that happened to you, like a specific time? Um, I can think of uh, two different spaces. Um, one, a very discouraging moment for me that took place actually in January. Um, we had a young adult in our program who really struggled with substance use, um, has gone through hell on earth. Mm -hmm. And... We tried and we tried and we tried to resource him and got to a point where we're like, you can't stay here. And we gave him another resource and helped him get into that resource. And he chose to walk away from it. Um, and he came back to our program um, while he was leaving. And he said, you know, if I don't see you again, it's because I'm dead. Mm. And he goes, but I want you to understand that this is the first place I ever felt loved. Wow. And his story has haunted me mm -hmm. in so many different aspects. And I will say that his story has also motivated me. A lot of the things mm -hmm. we're doing, like creating 12 step and, and trying to get counseling resources inside our doors is because of him. Mm -hmm. And because of that space of just so desperately wishing that we would have been able to do more. And in January, um, he was on my heart as he often is. And I was like, I'm just going to Google him. I'm just going to see where he is. And um, as I Googled him, I found out that he um, had drove in, in Phoenix under the influence and hit and killed someone. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in a space of desperate, uh, just a desperate place where I said, God, I don't understand. And God brought a piece to me saying his story's not over. Mm -hmm. You know, and I sat in that um, for days. I cried. And yeah. tried to figure out what does that look like for me? And here came another young adult through our door. And they wrote an extension letter about what the first year in our program meant to them. And they shared with me that they were talking with their friend. And they said, dude, you just need to define reality. And those words that we have been pouring into him over and over again and helping him be able to create a space where he's ready to change has been taking an impact in his life. And even a volunteer who came and saw this young man probably four months ago goes, I don't know what happened to him. He's different. Mm. And so I think that's the space where I see both sides. Mm -hmm. And this side can discourage me and hurt and break my heart, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, and also motivate me. But then I see this other space where God's allowing me to see the fruit mm -hmm. and allowing me to see that those who are ready, mm -hmm. that he's opening up their hearts yeah. And he's allowing 
them to feel love and he's allowing them to feel hope. Yeah. You know, Kim, what I love about that story too that you're telling is you you stepped into the muck and mire of this world and the brokenness of the mm-hmm. world in what you felt God was calling you to do, not understanding where that path was going to take you, right? Mm-hmm. You thought you were going to make some videos. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are nine years later. But I think you probably understand better what it means when you talk when we read about Jesus being a man of sorrows. Mm-hmm. Because when he weighed in the muck and mire of this world and, and lived in, amongst it, you know, he had those times where he saw like this young man that you start seeing that shift and that change and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. but he also saw these ones that walked away. Yeah. That kept doing things that were hurting their life. And so I'm sure you understand that better than you did even nine years ago about what it means to be, what it means when Jesus said he was a man of sorrows, right? So funny that you talk about that because the last couple of weeks, my brain has been stuck on the passage, Jesus wept. Mm. It's been stuck on that because so often uh, people say it's because Jesus felt sadness for the passing of his dear friend. And I've been processing it, that going, I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus knew that moments later yeah. he was going to raise him from the him dead. Back. And he knew that there's a realness of heaven and this relationship with God. And I think that Jesus wept for us mm-hmm. because he knows the pain that we're experiencing on this side of earth and he wishes it could go away. He knows it wasn't meant to be this way. Right. And, and it's I know, not going to be this way someday, but for now, yeah. And, and it, I think that that's the space is if you're not willing to step into the muck with people, how can you have compassion like Jesus? Yeah. Because people tell me, my husband actually says this to me, he's like, you can't cry over everybody. And I say they deserve to have somebody who wants to love them enough to cry for them. Yeah. And I look at that. Jesus loved people enough to cry for them, Yeah. even though he knew it was going to be okay on the back end. Wow, that's powerful. You know? And I, I mean, that's what God's been speaking into my heart. Yeah. Is... um that that weeping for others over compassion that is a great insight because i've processed that too mm-hmm. and you know again it says he wept which in the english bible is one of the shortest verses right what is packed full of meaning yeah but he, he's he's not missing he knows he's about to come out of that tomb mm-hmm. that's not why he's crying so that's such a great insight that you have there so okay talk to talk to some in the audience right now that may be a little nervous because they're hearing you you talk about your journey and they're going, man, I'd like to help with the foster kids, but I do not want to be where she ended up <laughs> nine years later with seven kids. I can't fit them in a minivan anymore. And because, again, I think God has called all people to help with the most vulnerable. It may look different what he's calling them. But what would you say then to some of those people that are like, I don't want to take this step because I don't want to end up where Kim is? So the first thing, I think it depends on who you're talking to. Um, because we don't just work with believers. Mm-hmm. And I would say, if you are feeling led in whether you're believers or not, if you're feeling led to do something, take a step. Yeah, It doesn't matter what that step is. Now, if I'm talking to believers, it's a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were called to take up your cross and follow after Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you're going to look the same, but it means that you're sacrificing something. And so for me, it looks like I have seven kids, which actually there is sacrifice that comes with that. But the blessings far exceed the sacrifice. 
What is it, if you're not doing foster care, what is it in your life that you are sacrificially living in a way that's not in a comfort zone, that's choosing to get in the muck and the mire of the world because that's where you found Jesus. It wasn't in a comfortable house. It was in the muck and the mire. And you can do that in so many different ways. I have found a passion for going and doing Celebrate Recovery at CAS and being a part of the homeless CR that's taking place there. It's not foster care, but I tell you what, it's messy. Mm -hmm. And it's me showing up for one day. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be in it every single day like I choose to be, but you have to be in it. If you're going to call yourself a follower after Jesus, I truly believe that you have to find a way to take up your cross and follow after him in a sacrificial way that impacts the lives of the least of these. Yeah. And you even said, so if there's someone who's listening, who's going, I'm not, well, I'm not a believer in God, but mm-hmm. but I, I feel like I want to do something. You would say to them? 100%. We have people who are uh, followers after Jesus, people who are not. We partner with all different people, mm-hmm. all different spaces and places. And I will tell you, I have met some of the most amazing people in the work that I get to do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you have a heart to make an impact, you have a space to make an impact. Wait, say that again, because that's good. If you have a heart to make an impact, you have a space to make an impact. Because I will tell you what, it can be folding clothes. It can Mm -hmm. be put together food boxes because there are families who are taking on kids as kinship that are getting very little support and they need help. They don't have enough housing. They don't have food. They're not getting the financial resources that foster parents are getting. And you have the ability to step into that need in meaningful ways just by putting boxes of food together. Mm -hmm. You can come out. We have such a need for mentors to step in and help young adults open bank accounts and be able to get their IDs and be able to get glasses. I mean, just the simple, basic learning some of these life skills that they didn't learn. Yeah. Find out. Cause I mean, think about as an adult, how overwhelming life can be. Now imagine that you're out there and you don't have somebody to call to tell you how to walk through it. Yeah. You can be that in someone's life. You can choose to step in as a court appointed special advocate and advocate for kids that are in foster care. And I think they require two times a month that you meet with the the kids. There are so many ways that you can choose to get involved. And I always tell people, if it's not foster care, I guarantee if it's another area in the community, you're still impacting the same group I am because it touches all these different areas. Yeah, yeah for sure. You, so so um, seven kids, 12 to... Six to twelve. Six That's to twelve. My... So, so can you can you name all the ages? Like, because if it goes six to twelve, it's probably six, six, seven, eight, something like that, right? Yeah. So I have a six-year-old, two seven-year-olds, a nine-year-old, two eleven-year-olds, and a twelve-year-old. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. But when you when you and your husband said yes to this, you brought your kids, your the the, the three kids that you had, you brought them into it, and then At you the had time your we had foster, two. yeah. And then you brought the, the the first few that you fostered, you brought them into it as Absolutely. well. So that's part of this life journey that we do too, isn't it? This this crazy, messy life journey we do. Every time we say yes, we're bringing someone else along with us on that. Not just the ones we're helping maybe. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's guilt that comes with that because you're making a choice to step into the hard. But as an individual who's making a choice to step into the hard, I'm also making that choice for my kids. Yeah. Because they were too young to for you to sit down with them and say, what do you think? Yeah, at the time I had a three-year-old and then um, my Annalise was 20 months old. When yeah. um, And so that was the thing is we had signed up, we were thinking we were gonna bring a baby in our home. I'm like, well, zero to one. Well, I was never thinking 17 months old is one. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so I had uh, went from having the two to having almost like twins. My um, two that are now 11 were, t- or they are three months apart. And so we stepped into not just, oh, I'm going to bring a baby home, but I'm going to bring a kiddo home that had a lot of challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. And we're going to maneuver through this space together. And I remember my kiddo telling me, he's got to go. I mean, she was three and she was adamant. She's like, you get him out of my house. And I said, where would you like him to go? I don't know. Well, where would you go if I told you to get out of my house? Well, with my Uncle Dustin. Okay, but he doesn't have an Uncle Dustin. So what do you want me to do? And having to teach them the space of compassion yeah. and empathy for another human being has been a gift but also watching them go through the the trials and the challenges that come with trauma mm-hmm. has been a space of going i have guilt for that because they if they would have they they would not have had to deal with trauma except that you brought a kid into the home that had to deal with trauma so now they are 100%. having to deal with trauma yeah and there's secondary trauma that comes from that mm. but then i have to believe that God tells us that character is built through iron sharpening iron. Yeah. It's through the space of friction and conflict. Yep. So at the end of the day, I pray for my kids on a regular basis. And at the end of the day, I have to believe that God, because I know he ordained us to bring um, Sam into my home. I believe that with my full heart. And I believe that he also brought every other kid with us. Uh, I had four miscarriages before I had my first child. Mm. And I adopted four. And I do not believe that's a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I believe that it was um, a part of God's plan all along. Yeah. Um, but with that, I have to believe that he has a purpose for every piece of this story. Yeah. And that he is going to use this to make my children warriors. Yeah. And so I think that that is a real space, though, is understanding like you as a parent have made the decision for your children. And I will tell you, my kids say they wouldn't change that, but they don't know life any different. You know, this this theme, we could almost, maybe we title this podcast that messy is a word that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, the, you know, every time you say yes, every time you move in it, it, it life gets messy. It's and, But that's part of it. Like, again, being two people from a faith-based perspective, Jesus never promised that things were going to be easy. No. In fact, he goes out of his way to say, understand this. If you, if you follow me, it's going to cost you everything. I yeah. mean, he went out of his way to tell us that. And it's not just with foster. It could be whatever God is calling you to do, but it's it's messy, isn't it? I 100% think it is. And if it's not, if you're not experiencing mess in your life, I would just encourage you to spend some time thinking, are you opening yourself up to something outside of your comfort zone? Are you opening yourself up to what God has planned for you? I remember I was reading a book by David Platt. And it was a game changer for me. They said to follow after Jesus means that you lay everything in the flood zone. And you ask God to break the dam and wash away whatever it is he wants to wash away. Are you choosing to live your life in a way that says, God, anything I have, anything I own is yours. And I will, whatever you choose to wash away or whatever you choose to bring to me, I will choose to take that and multiply it. Mm You know, mm-hmm. and I, I constantly go back to that parable of the talents too. Am I using my life to mm-hmm. multiply what God's asked me to do with it? And so I think I can't speak to what anyone else's journey is. I just know what God has led me to do. Mm-hmm. But I do know that God has a journey for you. And if you are actively seeking him 
and asking him to take you out of your comfort zone, asking him to bring the best in your life. Because I truly believe this is another thing that I've really been processing lately. What moments in my own life am I exchanging good for great? What moments in our life are we taking and choosing the good and the comfort and losing out on the greatness mm-hmm. that God designed us for? Yeah. Simply because we haven't said, God, I'm willing. Well, and that goes to what, when you were talking about putting it in the flood zone with David Platt, right? Is that what you mm-hmm. said? Yeah. Putting it in the flood zone, letting God wash it away. There will be a grieving process because we will oh, lose yes. some things in our lives and well, there'll be a grieving process. But anybody who's followed through with that also understands that you just moved from good to great mm-hmm. in that, didn't you? So there's grieving. That's the messy part. But there's also the other side where you realize this, I could never have dreamed that it it would be like this. You know, and we teach our young adults. This is something that Chad Moore and Scott Wright out when I was on staff at Sun Valley taught me and I've been able to Two adapt it. Yeah. Um, but they taught me to dream of a preferred future. And in order to get that preferred future, you've got to define reality. And I tell our young adults all the time, it can't be what you think reality is. You have to be incredibly real with yourself and others. What does it look like? And then you design this path to get from here to there. But you cannot get from here to there without sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in your life that you will ever accomplish and move forward that you are not going to have to give up something else. And I think that when you talk about that grieving process, the pain of where you are has to be great enough that you're willing to take on the pain of where you want to go. And so for me with Foster Arizona, the pain of where I was was I can't walk away. I hurt. I emotionally, everything inside of me hurt at the idea of leaving kids behind. Mm -hmm. And that was great enough to be able to take on the work that it was going to take for me to move to actually making foster his own a reality. Yeah. So I think that that is in your life, like whatever it is for you, you've been designed with something mm-hmm. that leaves you in a discontent space mm-hmm. of what reality is. Yeah. And so if you're looking at what can I do with my life, start there. Yeah. Say, what is it that breaks my heart? Yeah. What is it that when I think about, I wish I could do something or, um, Or I've experienced, like I almost went into foster care when I was a kid and I sat there in foster care training and went for such a time as this. What is it that you're you're moved towards? One writer called it a holy discontent, Mm -hmm. like figure out what that holy discontent is, that thing where you're just like, I got to, I got to figure out what's happening up river. Mm-hmm. You know, That's I'm seeing exactly these, these bodies come down the river. Something's happening up there and I got to go upstream, which is what you did with foster care. And you're going to spend the rest of your messy journey continuing to try to figure that out. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is I always look at it, people like, oh, is this going to be your work for the rest of your life? I don't know. <laughs> yes. You know, I tell people that I've, I've stopped trying to make plans hmm. because when I start to make plans, it typically doesn't go that way. I thought I was going to be a professional singer. I thought that I was going to tour and do all these things. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I'm lucky I get to make money as a vocalist, and I'm so grateful for that. But it's not nearly what I had planned. Mm-hmm. And when you're open to the disruption of your plans, and when you're open to say, I will be here as, as long as I'm called to be here, but I will also be willing to pick up and go if I'm called to something else, I think that is the powerful space. When you cling too tightly to anything, that's when you miss out. Mm-hmm. Do you think the plan's better than what you had? Oh, 100%. 
yeah, I look at this and I'm like, I never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that I'd be doing the work that I'm doing. And I will tell you, um, I was at a singing competition in Estes Park when I felt God tell me that, no, you are going to be um, in ministry local. Yeah. And I knew it in my spirit. And I'm like, nope, I'm not chasing that anymore. Because I was full chasing going, I'm going this direction. And I thought, oh, that meant me being on a church staff. But that's not at all. Like now I look at it, I'm like, no, he had so much more for me than ever I could ask or imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it's a lot also a lot more heartbreaking than I ever would have asked for, for sure, (laughs) or imagined. But on the end of it, I uh, was just talking to Shannon, who works with me, and I said, it's the most meaningful work I've ever been involved in in my life. The journey in that, that messy journey has the higher highs and lower lows. Than oh you my gosh, imagine, you're right? speaking it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, so let me let me play. I hate this term, but I don't know what else to use. Let me play devil's advocate for a yeah. moment because I asked you, do you think it's better? And you said, oh, absolutely. But I could say, yeah, but you don't know that because you never went the other. You never actually fulfilled. You thought your dream was going to be a singer, but you, a professional singer where you're touring. You never got to do that. So how do you know it's better? Oh my gosh, you're sounding like my husband. It makes me nuts. He <laughs> well, always I called tells him me. before we had this interview. <laughs> he always says to me, I'm like, because I look at my kids' faces and I'm like, I would have missed them. And he said, no, you wouldn't. You would have never known them. I'm like, no, I truly believe my heart knew them. Hmm. You know, because when you feel like you are designed for something, yeah, I think your heart would have missed it. Yeah. You know? Deep within your soul. Yes. That would have been a... Yes. And I think that's one of those things. We see so many people living their lives in a state of unfulfilled. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. They're missing what they were designed for. Which, Kim, goes back to what you said earlier. Whether you're someone from a a faith perspective listening or or you don't believe, Mm -hmm. take that step. If you're feeling feeling like, "I, I need to do something more, take that step. Well, I think that's the thing is you only have one life here on this earth. We all have the same sense at the end of it, right? We're going to take our last breath. Mm -hmm. And I look at that. You have a decision to make. Are you going to take steps when you take that last breath where you said, I did everything I ever wanted to do Mm -hmm. and I have no regrets? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to wish you did something? Yeah. And I would rather risk insecurity of of all this worldly belongings and believe that I lived my life to the fullest mm-hmm. than get to the other side and be, oh, yeah. I wish. I haven't read a lot of stories about people at the end going, I wish I wish would have loved less. Right. I wish I would have sacrificed less. Right. I wish I would have given less. I wish I would have. That's not the stories you hear. No. And I think that sometimes we take for granted more time. My friend just lost her son this last week. Hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about that. How old was he? He was 20. Oh. And I've been thinking a lot this last week about that. We assume time. Yeah. We assume that we're at a certain space based on our age and how much time we have left, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much time we have left. We don't know. I've been going into every store. If you can't tell, I'm like a deep feeler space. (laughs) But I've been going in every store. And as I've been meeting different people who are checking me out, like when I'm getting food or whatever I'm doing, and I've been looking at them. And in my brain, I've been thinking, I don't know if today's their last. Yeah. Every interaction we have with other people, it's not just about the value of our own life. Mm -hmm. It's about the value of giving of another person's Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the end of the day, 
I don't want to re- have regrets even when I'm living. Yeah. Of saying, I wish I would have told this person this. Yeah. I wish I would have found a way to love them. Mm-hmm. Or like I was talking about with our young man who right now is finding himself in, in a, a bad situation and, and in a jail waiting for a trial. I don't want to sit and say, I wish I would have been able to help him more. And so that's my drive. Mm-hmm. I don't want someone else in that situation. If I could do one more piece, if I could get one more person involved and it could change the outcome for that person. Like sometimes I think we're only focused on our own life and we fail to see that life. Yeah. So Kim, how do you do this? Because I, I love where your heart is, but the danger for someone like you is, is taking on things that you can't control. You know, it's the whole that you were talking about 12 step program, right? God, give me the serenity to accept the, the things, things that I, I cannot, cannot change, change. Yep. the courage to change the things that I should change. Mm-hmm. So you take on like this, this young man that you're talking about. I mean, you, let's say you're doing everything you can, but they make the choice to make. How do you live with those? How do you live with that? So I've wrestled with that through the years. And one of the things that I've had to decide on is I can't take any ownership of their success and I can't take any ownership of the failings. Mm. You have to let go of both sides. I think sometimes as human beings, we want to take credit and, and act like saviors and that we did something to change someone's life when the reality is we didn't. None of us hold the power to change anyone else's life. We can only make the decisions in our own. And so what I can do is, did I do everything that I felt that I should be doing? What are the gap spaces? And so I don't focus on successes or failures as much as I really try to keep my eyes focused on, God, what are you opening my eyes to see that are gap spaces that maybe I have influence in, that I can bring other people alongside, that I can bring other talents alongside, and we can start filling. So I try to, instead of focusing, um, and they motivate me not to be misunderstood, those spaces in his life has motivated me um, to see things differently. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've had to decide is maybe I'm just a seed. Maybe it was something that I was just supposed to do and I'll never see blossom. And I've had to let go of control of that. Yeah. Because if you try to cling to control of that and you try to manipulate situations or you try to say, if only, it will kill you. Yeah. And and maybe not Probably physically, but on ar- the inside. Yeah. Probably either lead to arrogance. Right. If you're taking credit for the successes mm-hmm. or just utter heartbreak and feeling of failure. Yeah. Um, and there, and honestly, you're no good if you quit. You're no good. That's why perseverance is so important. And if I'm taking credit either way, I will fail. Yeah. But if I stay in my center lane and say, what is it that I'm called to? What is it that I'm responsible for? What is it that I should do? then it allows me to stay focused and my eyes are at least able to see. And I use all of this around me, the successes that I see, the setbacks that I see in order to help me be able to clear the picture of where I need to go. Kim, can you make a promise to me and come back on our podcast? You, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's, I, I'm sitting here, like sometimes I'm, you say something and I, I don't even know what to say next because I'm, I'm trying to process the depth of what you just said. I, I feel like people are going to have to go re-listen to this 
and really process and let and and let God really soak in these things that you're saying. But let me do this f- for a moment too. You have an incredible organization, and I want to just encourage. It's always hard. I know I've ran nonprofits, yes. and it takes money to run nonprofits. It's always hard to ask for money. So I'm going to do that for you, and I'm going to say you have an incredible organization, and anybody listening to this, I would love to encourage them to go to your – you're going to tell us where to go to, but but support financially. There's a lot of other things they can do too, and you go there and find it. Maybe you're going to volunteer. Maybe you're going to mentor, but for sure – uh, if if you if you want to find a good organization to give to financially, this is a great organization. You have generational impact. So where would they go to find out more about what you do? They'd go to fosterarizona.org. Okay. And I will tell you, I so appreciate you saying that because right now my thing has been cattle on a thousand hills. We need five million to build a building, and I know that God has in store um, that space for us. And you know that's what it it means to take a big building leaps. for what. For young adults transitioning out, we are going to expand our beds to 50 beds. And in order for us to do that, we're going to need more support. And it's going to be everybody pulling together and saying, here's the connections I have. Here are the resources I know of. That's right. And so I so appreciate it because, yes, uh, the only reason Foster Arizona exists is not because of me. Mm -hmm. It's because of all the shoulders that people have allowed me to stand on to make this dream a reality. Mm -hmm. And in this season where we're continuing to grow and expand and say, how can we impact more lives? We need more shoulders. Yeah. Incredible. So tell us again where to go to. FosterArizona.org. FosterArizona.org. Well, you promised to come back on this I podcast. I absolutely because, will. It's been a pleasure. Because <laughs> we, I mean, we didn't even, before we even turned the mics on, we started talking leadership stuff <laughs> and how do we self-care, like take care of ourselves in the midst of helping others so we don't end up in, you know, a, a mess. Uh, so, I mean, those are all things we could talk about in the future at some point. Well, before we go, though, two truths and a lie. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, okay. Yeah. We, we, we feel like we know you a little bit now. Let's see if we can figure out which one is a lie. Um, so I was born in Mexico. Okay. I went on my very first plane ride and jumped out of it. You'd never been in a plane and you skydived. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I was on The Tonight Show. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So which one of those is a lie? I'm going to say, I'm going to say your very first plane ride, you jumped out of it. That's true. That is true. All right. Good. <laughs> I'm down to 50-50 here. I'm down to 50-50. Um, the, you were born in Mexico is true. That is true. I'm from Mexico, Missouri. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to say I'm right, but that's not what I was thinking. Mexico, Missouri. There's a Mexico, Missouri. There's a Mexico, Missouri. And like I asked when 200 I 200 people. You know, it was smaller and then they had the freeway go through it. But it was really funny. When I moved out here, they asked me if I had my green card. I'm like, you guys, Missouri, it's in the middle, <laughs> middle of the United they States. They just saw Mexico. Yeah. 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 But the Tonight Show, I didn't go on the Tonight Show, but I was when they came to Phoenix. I did get tickets. So. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. Well, I'm going to say I won this round. You did. I, I you won did this so round. good. When we have you back, I'm going to have you do another two choose and line. Okay. I'll see if I can okay. win again. But Kim, really, uh, from the bottom of our hearts, and I know that our audience would all say the same thing. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for the impact that you're having. Thank you for giving us, anybody who's going to jump in and help support or volunteer to, to, to make a difference too, in the lives of people that matter so much to God, the most vulnerable in our society. So thank you. Well, and thank you. I just think there's so much power in sharing stories. 
and your voice of leadership uh, makes a huge difference. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.